Well, we're in this series, Building Your Life. We're just looking, I was going into the passion and uh, the, the Easter season and reading, and there was just some thoughts that came to my mind that I said, you know, they're very practical, very spiritual and very practical, and I believe that that's what the Christian life is all about. A lot of spiritual people, but they don't have any practicality, and then a lot of practical people that don't have any spirituality, and I think at some points, those have to always be dovetailed, and there's sometimes intention in our lives, and I think that one of the greatest places we'll begin to see this is how we understand God's will. It's in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, that says this, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is just hours from the cross. And he has this mind shift. Man, do I really want to do this? He knows the implications. He knows the need. But he says, he's praying, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. And then he says this power, nevertheless, it's not about me, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus was all about the Father's will. If you study his life, he says things like this. What I see the Father, uh, what I hear the Father saying, I do. What I see the Father doing, I do. He says, I can literally do nothing of, of myself. I hear the word of my Father and I move on that. Now, that is important because we talk about a relationship with Jesus. And as I told you earlier, intimacy with Jesus is so important that we're consistently growing in that. Because you will either grow in hearing his voice through his word, or you will grow in not hearing his voice. Why do so many marriages break up? Why do so many friends, friendships cease? It's because people begin to grow apart. They don't listen. They don't hear. One of the most often asked questions I get, what is God's will for my life? Now, I believe God has a unique assignment for each and every one of you here. Even if you came here today and you're a guest and I welcome you, and you really don't get this whole God thing or this Jesus orientation, and you're just kind of on this journey trying to check some stuff out, this applies to you too. I am convinced, I believe God has a unique assignment for each person where he wants us, once we come to know Jesus Christ in a personal way, that he wants us to bring his life, his grace, his goodness, his healing, and his peace to all of those around us. Now, it can be really confusing. You want to follow God, but there's all kinds of voices out there. There's thoughts, there's ideas that are telling you which path to take. And can I just tell you, sometimes the Christian voices are the worst. Because they make it so spiritual, there's not a whole lot of practicality to it. And you leave scratching your head. I've heard of so many people, they get into something, and then they start second-guessing their decisions, asking, oh, is, is this what God wanted me to do? Or maybe I missed it over there, or is it this, that, or the other? And oftentimes people feel like, God, just what do you want me to do? I'll do whatever. Just tell me. Tell me something. How many have ever felt like that? A couple of us are honest enough to say that. Good. I have. And, and, and some of those frustrations have led me to understand what I want to share with you today. Because there's tension in turning to him and trusting in him and making our decisions that ultimately honor him that don't always seem to be clear. 
Uh, I want to give you just on really quickly, I did a talk on this, I think about six or seven years ago, where I went through these and spent some time. But God's basic will is stated. The Bible is clear where it literally says this is God's will for you. And these are uh, five things here. This applies to everybody. First one is his will is that you be saved. Second Peter 3.9 says the Lord is not slack concerning his promises as, as some may count slackness. But he is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance or a relationship with him. Someone says this, well, I just want to know the will of the Lord. But if they've never, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, understand that he is the savior of the world, but it takes a personal response. Guess what? It's going to be hard to figure out his will and to understand what his will is for your life. When it comes to being saved, it's, it's, we use this word saved or salvation or some people born again or born from above. They really all mean the same thing. But what you have to understand, loved ones, it isn't about you just getting to heaven. It's about you getting to heaven ultimately, but it's also about you experiencing some heaven on earth. And it begins to be a way, salvation is a way to live your whole life here, now, and forevermore. And the truth is when someone says, I want God's best for my life, it's always gonna be tied to a restored relationship with him, his highest purpose for us. It is not possible to say, I want to know God's will, but not surrender your life to him and walk with him. It just isn't. Because you're always gonna be hedging, looking to serve your will. And you'll always come to those crossroads like Jesus did. Oh, God, if, if, if only I can get out of this. No, it's your will. But see, if you're really not surrendered to him, guess what? You'll go, oh, God, I don't want to do it. Oh, yeah, I'm going to do it this way. It's a lot easier and better. So the first thing, God's first will for every person in this world is they're saved. The second thing is this, is that they be submissive. First Peter 2, 13 through 15. Paul writes to the people there, and he says, I want you to honor God by submitting to the king. You don't know how difficult that was at that time because many of the people that he was writing to were Roman slaves, had a debauched Caesar king. But he says, listen, your submission to them will ultimately silence the ignorant accusers of your life and give them nothing to speak against. Isn't it interesting how we can speak out so clearly and so blatantly against our president and publicly? And again, I don't want to get into the freedom of speech thing because I, I'm totally for that, and that's why we vote. But I'm always amazed when Christians, they just don't have any class when they talk against our president, whether you agree with them or not. The Bible doesn't say speak against them. It says pray for them. And Bible says be submitted to those in authority over you. Listen, did you, that's God's will. Or maybe let's, let's break it down a little further. Maybe you go, I, I don't got a problem with the president. What about your boss? Oh, that's a whole different story. No, he says, listen, you need to be submissive to quiet the accusers and show how to live for Jesus in the midst of difficulty. The third thing he says that is clearly God's will is to be willing to suffer. 1 Peter three seventeen and four nineteen. That means that when the pressure of living your life for and before Jesus comes, like Peter had to do, Peter says there will be times that you'll suffer because of your faith. 
And you won't always want to live for Christ and always to please him. But the true test is that you are willing ultimately to suffer for him. That's God's will in your life. Now, fortunately, most of us in this room really don't suffer for him. But if we had to, it would be God's will that you would say, I'll do it. The fourth one is being sanctified. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Sanctified? What, what, what does that mean? Well, it comes from the Greek word hagisimas. What does that mean? Well, let me tell you. It means purification. It means to be purified. If you're taking notes, it just has the idea of, uh, of not being a person that is impure or polluted. That's what God's will is. It's God's will that we be sanctified. And in verses three and four, he talks about holding our vessels in honor. This whole idea, the context, which is important, that is all around this word used, sanctified, has to do with sexual immorality. And he's saying you, never lo- you no longer lose control of your body. That because you love Jesus and follow him, guess what? You're, you're going to take control of your body. It's not going to be polluted. You're going to get help if you need it. But you're gonna de- if you're dealing with pornography, you're going to deal with it. If you're dealing with an affair or the thoughts of an affair, you're going to get help and you're going to deal with it. If you're involved in sexual immorality, any kind of sexuality outside of marriage, you're going to deal with it. You're going to get control of the situation because that's God's will for your life. Because in its essence, it really simply means to be set apart. Holiness, sanctified means to be set apart unto God. See this chair? This chair is not set apart for me to stand on. If I, went up, if I stood on this thing, on this thing right here, guess what would probably happen? I would tip, teeter, and fall. And that would be really embarrassing, not to mention hurtful. This chair is set apart for what? Sitting on. Not standing on. Not throwing. You are set apart unto Jesus to be pure, to be holy for his high purposes. That's God's will for you. The next one is to stay thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17 says this, be joyful always. That's a heavy one. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. See, don't we love to say thanks and hallelujah God when everything's going wonderful, we get what we want? I do. Woo, God's great. See, the key is what, what, what Paul is saying here as he writes to the church at Thessalonica. He's talking about a people who will say thanks regardless of what they do or don't do what they have or they don't have. It doesn't matter the circumstances you find yourself in. It's a person who is able to say thank you, God, and to trust God no matter what they're going through. And they say, Jesus... I don't care what garden I'm facing. I don't care what difficulty. I am committed to following you because I am just so thankful. And the more thankfulness you have, guess what? The more joy you'll have. The most most joyful people I know are almost always the most thankful because they can just pick out thankfulness in the midst of anything and everything. And the last way, it's not stated as God's will, but it's a command, and I call it the sure way. Notice all of these start with an S. That helps me remember them. But the sure way, it's Matthew 22, 35 through 40. Jesus was once asked, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
with all your mind, all your body. See, worship is all of those things. That's why I said that earlier. It's all-encompassing. It isn't just what we sing. It's how we live. It's how we express ourselves. He says, this is the first, and this is the greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. When I become a Christ follower, loved ones, I was so bowled over by grace when it really hit me that Jesus died for me and I realized that my life could be so much better than what it was going, where it was headed. And since that day, I have to tell you, the trajectory of where I know it could have gone to where it's gone is incredible to me. I sit amazed at some of the things that God allows me to participate in. How he's continuing to heal so many of the broken areas in my life. One of the guys, we were just, just uh, greeted each other during the break, and he said, hi, I'm Tim, I'm a sinner. And I go, yeah, I don't ever want to forget that because there's a transforming work that because of Christ's love for every one of us that is moving us forward. Now, this is what I've learned about God's will. It causes some different things in people. Let me just say this. Uh, quickly, parenthetically, add this. If, if, if there's something at the end of today, instead of having face-to-face, we're going to have Parson the parishioner. I'm going to give you the opportunity to ask any questions about this subject or anything that I just clouded the water for you and didn't make sense. We're going to have an opportunity at the end for you to ask me questions to clarify or to give you better understanding of the things that I'm saying. Because God's will is such a big subject for so many that a lot of times it causes fear. See, God's will is not a labyrinth. It isn't one of these, one of these things where you get in, you gotta go, oh, I gotta go here, I gotta go right, I gotta go left, I don't know if I can find my way out, I don't know if I can find my way in. You need to, you know, we feel like sometimes you gotta make sure you don't mess it up and make the wrong decision. I've talked to people who become paralyzed by fear over their career path, their marital path, their life path. As many just go, I don't, I don't want to choose the wrong path. <laughs> See, we feel like these spiritual explorers, don't we? Where we're in search of this buried treasure. Just give me a map, Lord, and mark it with a big red X with clear directions so I can find it. But Jesus doesn't do that, does he? You know what he does? He gives us his Holy Spirit. And as we engage the life of Christ through his spirit, guess what happens? He begins to lead us. Here's the truth. If your heart desires to follow God, you're seeking his will. Can I just tell you something? It's going to be hard to go wrong. So when when it comes to decisions, quit chewing your fingernails. Quit getting an ulcer. Don't worry so much. Pray. James 1.5 says that God gives us wisdom. He doesn't give us answers. He gives us wisdom because I've given you a brain. Don't mail it off in a brown bag. Use it. And we'll talk about how to use it in a little bit. Secondly, people, you know, our God, our Heavenly Father, He isn't this cruel taskmaster who's just waiting for you to make a decision or playing hide-and-go-seek. It's not how He operates. Secondly, not only some people get very fearful, some people become very frustrated. People go, there's only one right path for my decision to make, for my career, for my spouse, for this, for that, the other. Do you believe that? You don't have to raise your hand. 
But some people really believe that. There's only one person. I mean, there was only one Adam and there was one Eve. You're exactly right, but there was only one of each. There was no choice. Think about it. But some people get so locked in, oh, God's got this one soulmate for me. I don't want people here to live in fear of making a wrong decision because it's not always clear cut, is it? Remember playing Marco Polo as a kid in the swimming pool? You know how you'd pop up Marco and the other person would pop down and, and then they'd come back up and Polo and, you, and the one person had to keep their eyes closed, Marco, while they're trying to find Polo? See, sometimes we feel like God's doing that. You know, we're popping up spiritually, Marco! And God says, Polo, I'm right over here. And then, and I know this is a little bit corny, but stick with me. But, but, but if we really are honest, that's kind of what we think God's doing. Oh yeah, he's over here. Okay, okay, Marco, Polo. And we're moving around and we're gonna find him. And then all of a sudden, it's almost as if God just kind of stepped out of the pool, walked away with his heavenly buddies, and we can't find him anymore. Marco, Marco, Marco! Now, you can laugh, I hope, because you understand, isn't that what it feels like sometimes? God, Marco, God, Marco, where are you? I just stepped out of the pool for a while. Take care of it yourself. Can I tell you something? Sometimes I believe he does that. He doesn't step away from us. He just says, I've given you a mind, and you're walking with me, and part of the will thing is I'm going to leave this choice to you. See, if we live in frustration of fear of every decision that we make, and I'm talking about as we walk with Jesus, can you imagine what that would do? Think about this. Adam and Michelle, do you believe it's God's will for you to be married? <laughs> Whoa, it's a, it's a trick question. <laughs> stay married. Okay, to stay married. Now, you've got to be careful because if you say, well, to stay married... Then if problems come, you can say, well, you know, it was never God's will for us to get married, so now I got it out, right? Or how about this? Uh, well, you know, I don't know. And see, sometimes we get this fear and frustration thing of God's will. Can you imagine if you made a mistake and you weren't supposed to marry her because it wasn't God's will? You know what? You just screwed up everybody else for the next 10 million years. <laughs> No pressure. But what's worse is somebody probably screwed it up for you. And it's not God's will for you to be. That's how people start thinking if, you're, if, you, if you really break it down. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden you have trouble. Oh, God, maybe it wasn't, maybe it was not the person I was supposed to marry. So we want to we simplify this thing. See, when I come to Jesus Christ, all of these things in me begin to change, not overnight, but they begin to get redeemed. They begin to have the, the influence of God's Spirit. And I want to have Christ's thoughts because why? I love Him. I want to serve Him. I want to please Him. People say, why did you go to Bible college? You want to know? They offered me a, a scholarship to play basketball, and then I wanted to go learn about the Bible. I said I'd go for a year. Four years later, I graduated. First one in my class to get a full-time job, the only one in my class to be in still full-time ministry. Wasn't, wasn't any, it wasn't, well, thank you, but, but the point is, is it wasn't real spiritual. And most of my class were, woo! 
You know, they had all the spiritual answers for everything. And I know some of you wish I was more spiritual, but that's beside the point. People say, why did you come to Creekside? Because God opened a door and I decided to come. Do you mean there wasn't like something really mysterious and spooky and off together ooky? <laughs> no. We thought about it. We prayed about it. And God had spoke to me one time speaking here in the summer. I walked out the front and I just felt like God say, this is a harvest that could be harvested as I looked around the hills. He didn't say you were going to do it. I just felt that. But it was probably four or five years later I came here because I wanted to. I've had opportunities. I've had some opportunities come up in, 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 in a season past, a couple of them. And I just, you know, God opens a door. I'm willing to walk through it. And I go, God, what do you think? I never hear, Terry, this is God. I know you love me, therefore, please do this. I don't get that at all. I know some people go, oh, you got a red phone in your office? You know, just kind of, you know, buzz heaven. No. You know, you know what my red phone is? My red phone is this. You know what my red phone is? It's this. And it's just Jesus. I, I, you know, there's nothing in your word that says do this or don't do this, the options I have before me. So I'm going to do what I choose because that's how I've, kind of gone through life. People go, why did you marry Trina? It's really simple. She chose me. Tracked me down. (laughs) That that was her choice. And I just got to say amen to it. But often, listen, often God's will is allowing us to choose. Too often we see God's will as railroad tracks that you've got to get on. Do you know how hard that is? Because then you get on these railroad tracks. Am I on? What if I get off track? I don't know. And then pretty soon, if you just get on tracks, guess what? You're just going to go around and around and around. What a boring life. Well, there are tracks to his will, and those five things that I mentioned are part of it. But I see a better picture of God's will as guardrails. God has guardrailed your life with his word, with those five things. And within that guardrail, guess what? You can make a lot of decisions. You are free. The song we sang this morning, freedom. That's what Jesus came to give you, loved ones, is freedom. Not to have you live in fear and frustration and wondering if you're hitting the mark or not. If you're doing those five things, can I tell you something? You have a lot of freedom to make a lot of decisions. Now, there's two things. There's the providential will of God. That's the will of God that's going to take place no matter what. God said this is going to happen, and you can pray, you can believe, you can have faith, you can do whatever. It doesn't matter. God said in the fullness of time, Galatians 4, 4, I'm going to send my son into the world, and nothing would have stopped that. That's the providential will of God. Jesus is going to come back someday because that's what God's will says. I don't know when it's going to happen, but when he determines and dictates that it's going to happen, nobody's going to be able to change it. It's going to happen. That's the providential will of God. Now, there's the moral will of God. It's for your life morally. It's where you live according to the scriptures. God wants you on the right side of the moral will of God. For example, would it be moral, morally right for you to have sex outside of your marriage, to have an affair, to have, uh, to have fornication? No. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I, see, this is, this is tricky stuff, God's will. It's like, oh my gosh, I don't want to answer anything because I don't know. <laughs> no trick, well, not, no trick questions this morning. No. Uh, sexual immorality is not on the right side of God's moral will. Is it right for you to mistreat your spouse, to call him or her names and to put them down and to demean them? No. Read Ephesians 5, read 1 Peter 3, and it will tell you clearly, no, those are issues, those are moral issues that you don't disregard. So God gives you his providential will. He gives you his moral will. And they're like two guardrails that will keep you safe and from careening over the cliff of life. And yeah, you'll bump up against them. You know why? Because you're not perfect. So I want to give you some key thoughts on how to kind of understand this thing called God will. God is concerned about all the areas of your lives. And sometimes he will highlight things where you work, where you live, who you will marry. But I don't think he highlights them as strongly as we think that he does. If you study the life of Jesus, he zigzagged all over Galilee and Judea. There was seemingly, if you really study his life, his three years of ministry, there was no rhyme or reason to where he went, why he went, how he went, or whatever else, other than every day he'd go have time with the Father, and he'd hear the Father's marching orders, and then he'd go. See, too many Christ followers feel like they should be given this personalized travel program complete with departure, destination, and arrival times. <laughs> hey, listen, I fly and travel a lot, and those things aren't even right. And sometimes we expect God to give us those things where we're kind of this moving person that's always changing. Hear this. I believe God's will is more about direction or disposition than a destination. Where and when Jesus went in his ministry wasn't nearly as important as what he did wherever he went. Listen to what Acts 20, 38 says. You know the story of what happened in Judea. It began in Galilee after John preached for total life change. Then Jesus arrived from Nazareth, anointed by God with the Holy Spirit, ready for action. He went through the country helping people, healing everyone who was beaten down by the devil. He was able to do this do all this because God was with him. It just talks about the places that he visited, but what was more important is what he did in those places because God was with him. A great discovery comes, loved ones, when we see that most of God's will does not revolve around where we uh, end up physically because if that's our focus, that will always lead to fear and frustration. So what does he really want? His focus is to change us. Romans 8, 28 through 29. Many of us know it. That God works out all things to good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. With his ultimate focus being verse 29, so that you and me would be conformed into the image of Jesus. Why? Because as we're conformed into the image of Jesus, we won't live for us, but we'll live for others. And we'll live for him. See, that's the focus. And, tell, and we learn that tr the, the circumstances that we face will help to transform us into that image. And the focus isn't where you're going, but the focus is, be, is to be in alignment with him so you can live out his purposes for your life. And hear me, that's not always a destination. It's a disposition. 
Romans 12, 1 through 2. Let me read that. This is kind of a crazy scripture that is really important, but a lot of people miss it with this. Because there's this, this phrase in here that people kind of try and make a bigger deal than it is. It says, therefore, because of chapters 1 through 11, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies. See, remember I said earlier about praise? Praise is physical. That's part of this sacrifice. See, in the Old Testament, sacrifice was all about our worship. And so Paul is saying here, listen, don't ever forget that part of your worship, your sacrifice to the Lord, it's always physical and starts with your body. See, sometimes the reason we can't move forward spiritually is because we just don't bring our body to God. He says, be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Why? Because this is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Hear me. This is not a, this is not a, 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 a dissection of God's will, that there's God's good will, his pleasing will, and his perfect will. Can I tell you something? Not one of you can get God's perfect will. But sometimes people will say, well, you know, there's his good will. Just, you know, shoot for that. <laughs> or shoot for his perfect will and maybe you'll get pleasing and good. No, what he is saying is here is that God's will, it is good. It's good for you. It is pleasing to you. And it will help perfect you. So don't get this target like, oh, I'm going to shoot for God's perfect will, but I'm just going to do my best to be good and do his good will. Do you see that? Because there's some people that teach that, that, well, you know what? There's his perfect will, God. Listen, I don't know if anybody's ever had it except for Jesus. Oh, and he struggled with it for a while. So it's going to take this. It's going to take your heart. It's going to take your heart to please Jesus and give yourself, your body, your mind, your spirit completely to him. Why? Because he gave his life, his best, completely to you. At some point, you've got to say, God, here I am. I surrender. Body, soul, spirit, mind, everything. And secondly, it's going to take your personal will to pursue his path. It will take guts. It will take perseverance. There are decisions that I've had to make. Every decision that I made with Trina in our moves from the day we left Preacher Factory, we were downwardly mobile. That's a hard sell to a woman who wants security. Honey, Let's go to Lodi. She'd never been out of Oregon. She'd never been out of Boring and Clackamas, you know? And that is a city, Boring, right next to it. And so she wants me to move her 600 miles away. Oh, Terry, I don't know. It's hot down here. It's, it's, it's California. It's where all the, you know, all the weird people are, right? My skin's really pale. I don't like the sun. The sun don't like me. Okay, honey, pray about it. Two weeks later, what do you think, honey? Well, well, okay, yeah, I think we should go. So we live in Lodi, six years. She loves it. Honey, I think God's calling us to plant a church in Manteca. No, 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 no. I love Lodi. I love the people here. Okay, well, honey, let's just pray about it. Three months later, okay, honey, I think we'll go. We go to Manteca. Start a church, burn out, blow up, and did some great good things, and 
started teaching for a few years, and for the first time in our lives, we could kind of buy something on time and pay for it in 90 days, same as credit thing. So I says, well, well, honey, let's, let's, I, 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 Manti, I mean, Martinez called us. What do you think? Oh, no, I love it here. Kids are in school. I just, oh, man, God's, God's here. He's not there. <laughs> and I, and she didn't quite say it like that, but I think that's what she meant. But I said, I, I said, honey, let's just pray about this. Okay. You know, it was probably, and I think probably within a month, she came back and we talked about it. She goes, okay, yeah, I think, I, I, I think we need to go. So we come. Everything was downwardly mobile. You know what she did to me? This is, you know what she did to me? I think it was six, seven, eight months ago. She comes home one day out of the blue. She goes, honey, if you ever want to leave, just tell me. And I'm going. Now, now hear me. She was, it wasn't because there's any bad thing going on here at church. It's just like she just said, you know, I love, I love the freedom that we have in Christ to be able to do what we want because he's always blessed us. And whatever you want to do, whatever you feel God's, I'm there. No questions. That's freedom. And, I, and I'm convinced, loved ones, that that's how God wants you to live. That, listen, every decision we ever made, we sought God just like I did, except more intensely than what I explained it. But we sought God, and then we come to an understanding. But we have never received neon lights anywhere, on any wall, any place. It really comes down to what are we going to do? We going to go that way. And like I said, part of the reason, as I said this, I think last week or the week before, or the week before, some week, I said, God usually leads us to make the more difficult choices. And whenever we had the opportunity to go downwardly mobile, I thought, you know what, that's probably God. He's going to challenge us. But you know what always happened? It always was better than the place before. Great discovery comes when you understand that. See, when you give him your life, loved ones, Romans says, keep your mind on him. See, we can give him our body at some point, but we've got to give him our mind as well. Keep our mind focused on him because that's part of the process of transformation. See, let me give you an example, and I thought of this yesterday because I did this, but a, a guy is sitting at the breakfast table and he's focusing, he's reading the paper, what? Focusing on the impartation of information while his bride is sitting across the table and she's wanting intimacy of communication. You ever notice that? And she's just kind of, he didn't even have a clue. I didn't. And see, sometimes we can get like that in our relationship with Christ, can't we? Where this becomes just give me information, give me the Bible knowledge, and that's important. But a lot of us can move from simple Bible knowledge. We can stay at the Bible knowledge level and never allow it to be intimacy of communication that changes our heart and changes our life and changes our walk and changes our perspective. See, God doesn't want us just to be people of knowledge. He wants us to be people of transformation. And that's what he uses to change us. So how do we discover God's will? Well, those five things, never forget them. But this is what I do. I focus on Jesus' word. Psalm 119, I mean, the whole thing is about his word. But I love Psalm 119, verse 32. Because as we learn to walk in his commands, it all points to Jesus, the lover of your soul. 
Psalm 119, uh, uh, verse 105 says this, that God's word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. You know what that means? He says that, that lamp, a uh, uh, lamp unto our feet, I'm gonna let you see this close where you're going, but I'm also gonna give you just enough light to see where you need to go in the future. I love this in verse 32. It says this, that when you run in the paths of his commands, he enlarges your heart. Well, I think he enlarges your heart to hear him, to experience his life to greater depth and to degree. Revelation 3, 7 then says that I'm gonna open doors that no man can shut. I'm gonna close doors that no man can open. It's one of the key verses that I use in making decision. I will walk through any door that's an opportunity and then I'll wanna hear his voice or see if he closes it. Because if he closes it, I'm not gonna go, (laughs) or I'm not gonna try and kick it in. I'm just gonna go, thanks, Lord. It's real clear. And as you begin to hear his word, you begin to understand how that works. The second thing is not only focus on Jesus' word, but focus on Jesus' life. Another great way to discover God's will is to continually present yourself to Jesus every day. Jesus, I am a sinner, I need you, and through the voice of your spirit, I wanna hear you. That's what young Samuel in some ways did. He heard God's voice, and all of a sudden he got up and he said, Lord, here I am. And see, when you do that day in and day out of your life, guess what? You won't miss his will. Because I can attest to that. I don't think I've missed God's will. And that's basically what I do. Open a door, I'll go. Lord, here I am. See, Jesus is much more interested in teaching us to walk in his way spiritually than he is getting us to a particular place, city, state, workplace. Those things are really negotiable, loved ones. Now, am I saying don't prayer, don't seek God? Absolutely not. But focus more on what God wants to do in you in the process than where you're going. And the third thing is Jesus' love. The reason this is so, I love to do this is because I love Jesus. And more and more I love him. Because I've seen what he's done in my life. Psalm 40 verse eight says this, I delight to do your will, oh my God, because your law is within my heart. St. Augustine, one of the most influential, uh, influential theologians from the fourth century, um, uh, he, he pastored the church called Hippo, and it was in Hippo, Africa. He penned these words. Love God and do whatever you please. I love that. See, the focus is, if we love God, would we want to wrong him? No, I mean really love him. Because I got a lot of people that say, I love God, but I don't want to do what he says. And to that I go, I don't know about that. Because I don't think I could really convince my wife that I love her if I was kind of, sort of, faithful to her. I mean, if there's partial infidelity, it wouldn't work. She'd say, you don't love me. Well, the quote that Augustine says, he says, love God and do whatever you please, but it goes on to say this, we don't often see it, for the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. So if we love Christ, we will obey Christ. If we obey Christ, we'll love others. So then, 
the key is that St. Augustine is not only affirming our freedom, but really the guardrails of grace that he says to walk in. And those boundaries help us see the love of God at work in our life. Because you can't, I can't do this God's will thing perfectly. But if I love him, I will not get very far off. If you do these things, these five things, love him, you'll be submitted to him. Psalm 37, one through five says this. If you're a note taker or you like to underline in your Bible, underline these verses. Psalm 37. One through five says this. Do not be agitated by evildoers. Don't envy those who do wrong. For they quickly, for they wither quickly like grass and they will, uh, and, and wilt like tender green plants. But do this. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land, live securely. Take delight in the Lord and he'll give you your heart's desires. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act, making your righteousness shine like the day. I love that. Trust, delight, commit. You know what delight means? It means really to, to be with, to enjoy, to have a good time with. Don't miss this. When you do that, when you have this relationship that isn't just about information, but it's about intimacy and you commit your way to him and you trust in him and you learn to delight in him and enjoy him, the Lord will say this, do what you want. You want to do that? Do it. You know why? Because this is what he's saying here. Do it. See, the focus isn't that he's going to fulfill your desires, loved ones. This is what he's going to do. He's going to plant his desires in you so that you want to do them. Why? Because you're walking with him. You're learning of him, being intimate around him, with him. And then you'll want to do his will because you know it's best. Let me close with this, and we'll take some questions if you have them. I told you before, Grandpa Riley, he was my audience of significance, my audience of one. He was the guy, the face, that when I was playing sports, he was the one that came, and he was the one. I was the most awful baseball player in the world, but when he came, I was Terry Mantle. And, and I would look around, and I would see his face, and... I might strike out and probably did, but it was a big strikeout. Yesterday, I thought of my grandpa Riley. I was, we, were, I, I, we have a pastor's pick. And uh, I come down to two cars that I was going to pick between. And one of them, the reason I was going to pick it, not only was it a beautiful car, but it was a 60, I think it was a 61 Chevy Impala. And as I was looking at this car yesterday, it was turquoise and white. It took me back to my grandfather's car that was pretty new. I used to live with them from the time I was about two to five because my dad had divorced. And so I spent most of my time with them. And he had this beautiful Chevy Impala. And I was probably at that time, I think I was four or five, uh, probably, yeah, about four or five. And I had this tricycle at grandpa and grandma's. And grandpa, don't, don't, don't drive your tricycle around the car. Well, you know, you try and get as close as you can. Well, one day I was just going pell-mell and, 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 and my trike had these, you know, the handlebars had these sharp edges. And I went by and scratched it. And I go, oh. I, I mean, I just always scared because it was bad. Well, I loved my grandpa and he loved me. And, and I, he, when he found out, 
he took me out there and showed it to me. And I can't remember anything that he said. This is what I remember. He didn't spank me. He didn't yell at me. But he just showed it to me and said, don't ever go by this car again. That's about all I can remember. And I thought, you know something? That's really how I am with Jesus. I, I don't have grandpa around anymore, but I've got Jesus. He's my audience of significance, my audience of one. And so often I'm probably worse than you, and I fail, and I'm bumping guardrails. But this is what I know in this man's heart. I want to please Jesus. And if that's my heart, if that's my love, if that's my goal for my audience of one now, I'll make it. I won't get too far off. And I want you to know that. I want you to be free to follow what God has for you. Risk. Step out. Trust. And allow him to work in your life. This message came today on my phone. I think Christopher posted it from somebody. But it said this. Long ago, he picked up his eternal paintbrush, dipped it into his glory, placed you in his story, and said, they will live for me. Can I tell you who that is? That's you and me. And when you live for him, his will will be really easy to follow and you'll be able to do it with freedom. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Okay, let's pray. And if you have a question, we'll take them. If you don't, we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for your will. Lord, it's, it's been so jumbled up by so many people and preachers. And, and I, I just, I thank you for the freedom that you want us to live in. But most of all, it starts with, with us knowing you in a personal way, understanding that you came and died for us and resurrected. And now you're in heaven, it says, praying for us. I think you're praying for us to live right, to do right. But most of all, to love you and to walk with you. You're just saying, I want to speak to you today. And maybe you're speaking to some people here right now to say, I, I invite you into a relationship with me. And somebody here, you may say, that's me. I need to do that. I want to invite you to just mark on your slip. I'm committing my life to Christ today. Maybe others of you, you know, you haven't been walking with him, and therefore you've been walking out of his will, but you want to get back into the freedom and joy of that. And maybe you today would just say, I'm recommitting. If that's either one of you, I would, I'm going to say a prayer, and you can just put it in your own words or pray it like this, but make a decision today to do two things, to pray the prayer and then to mark it on your slip as you leave today, on your connection slip in your program. Let us know. We'll pray for you this week. Father, we're all sinners saved by grace. The greatest expression of your love is that you loved us enough to come and give your life for us. And the greatest expression of our love back is that we give our life to you and live it with the desire to walk with you, talk with you, know you, live for you. And if there's anybody here today that has never made that decision, I just invite them to do that, that they would simply say, Lord, I am a sinner. I need a Savior. Would you come into my life? Because I want to follow you and become more like you. And Father, maybe there's somebody here today that just needs to come back. Welcome them back in the joy and presence of Jesus. So we give you thanks for that today. In your strong name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Amen. This is the benediction for today. Would you turn to the person next to you and say, I'm going to do my best to walk out God's will for my life.
<clears throat> You're loved. Have a great day. God bless you all.